Aaron Knightley, absolute pleasure to have you here. How are you doing, mate? Dude, very well. Looking forward to it and uh, excited to jump into anything, everything and anything we're going to talk about. Perfect. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I want to start off by talking to you about your uh, your past, your experience. So if people haven't seen Aaron's story, there's a lot of stuff online from it. You're really prolific with your online content. It's quite very impressive. And we'll touch on that later. So I don't want to explain your story. I want to touch on the pieces that I think are most relevant to the audience. So for, exa- for example, you started out in employment. You always knew that there was more for you, as many of us do. You know, you get to move your mid you're early to mid twenties and you start to believe I could do more than this. This is really constraining me. There's more, more to life. And, and I've seen you talk before about the importance of having your reason why. So I really wanted to talk to you and ask you, you know, what was your reason why and how did you start to define it and know that this is what you wanted to work towards? Yeah, great question. I think the reason why is like that, that fundamental, like the foundation. Why does anyone want success? Why does someone want to leave their job? I think what I've learned over the years now is that was such a huge part. So for me, I think identifying early on that I did have a flair, you don't necessarily know what it is, but I did know early on, even in my early, early teens, I mean, honestly, even before my teens, to be honest with you, key traits, loud, outspoken, very in your face, kind of, you know, holding center of attention, confident. and. I think that was always, you know, you're always trying to sort of get a message out there or you're trying to express yourself. And and then I think it comes down to direction. I always knew that I had something to say. And typically, if someone's always got something to say, they're normally a bit of a doer, you know, a bit of an action taker. So I had like key traits. And then one thing which I get asked all the time, how did you learn to be so disciplined? I've got to be honest, I've been disciplined just from a very young age. I played high level sports. I've seen my parents work incredibly hard. So discipline from a really early age was instilled. Now, if you can apply, and this is my opinion, if you can apply hard work, being very confident, outspoken, merge that with discipline to get something done, you make great progress. And the older I got, the more I changed my network. And the reason why, when my son came into my life and I really had to pull my finger out, Um, The only way for me to really excel at that point was entrepreneurship, which led me exploring business and getting around people who were entrepreneurs and in business. And that's kind of where it started for me. I think it's really interesting. And I think the the link between sports or health and fitness discipline and then business is something that I think needs to be explored more. It's what we do a lot of with our with our clients who are looking to scale their businesses, because there's such a relationship between sports and discipline and then if you then turn that around and go okay well if business is a sport which really is you should be having fun you should be solving problems teamwork's a massive element then discipline resembles a very similar shadow doesn't it and if you look at all the the guys or the you know girls and guys anyone who's been super successful one of the first things they'll talk about is discipline and then also obviously they'll talk about health right so is that something that you've seen in your journey you know i'm adding on health there into your journey a hundred percent you know, even just even go a bit broader and a bit deeper than that. Let's jump back to the 80s and 90s. You had overweight women, overweight men who were in business, fat, slobby, mooby, you know, just out of shape. And ultimately, they're trying to build wealth, preserve it and grow it. But yet their physical condition is so poor. They're tired. They're lazy. They're getting everyone else to do everything. They're not building enough relationships. They're not working out. They're not evolving in every area of their life jump forward to to where we are now, even really starting from 2010, we've seen a massive shift 
in people getting lean, ripped, jacked, shredded, you know, being highly disciplined in their fitness, it just then transitions and merges into the business world. And it keeps you laser focused because if you can, if you can say no to food that you love and you can swap that for, you know, organic, high energy, good nutrients, and then you can swap the booze and all the fags and the drugs for literally bottles of water, you know, keeps you hydrated, uh, gets, gets rid of all the toxins. You perform so much better in business. As we were just talking about Jason and I, you know, being a little bit of competition in fitness, it levels you up. We're not in the 80s and 90s anymore. So merge fitness, absolutely 100%. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's literally spot on, isn't it? And there's so much to be said for um, looking after yourself and then the the massive effect it has on on business or on your team or on your relationships. Because, you know, this morning I was with a client downtown in Dubai and he has come to us because he's talking about growing his business internationally, but also he's just started running. And it really resonates with him that once he starts to look after his health and phys- fitness, his business has started to grow organically. So people have had more interest with him. He's been able to be more disciplined, more productive. And it sort of comes to the, the conclusion that it is there's such a link between everything. And, and I wanted to touch on this when you just mentioned discipline there, because I know that you grew up in a, you know, in a hardworking family um, and your parents were hardworking people. And how, you know, we always talk about law of attraction. So if, if, you're, if you're a group of five friends and you've got the sixth and they're all smoking, you're probably going to smoke. How have you seen that in your business? And, and did that impact you when you were younger with that family ethic of hardworking and problem solving and then that being instilled into you? Yeah, look, the thing with me, right, is I've, I I never play my own pity party, right? I I never barely even talk about my upbringing because it was, you know, it was hard at times and my parents went through a lot of struggle, but I I recognize people don't care, right? People don't care. They want to see the result. They want to see the action that you take. So the transition for me was massive and, and you could really tell in my life and my going from the, there's a difference, the poor mindset and the rich mindset. You don't need to be rich. That's the first thing to acknowledge. You don't need to be rich to have a rich mindset. It's, it's purely the social circle. If you hang around with poor-minded people, lazy, um, you know, just claiming everything that they can, they have no ambition, you fall into a slump and bad momentum's real. And once upon a time, I used to be around those people, the people that love the pub, the people that love the drugs, the people that were fighting, stuff like that. You know, once upon a time, I spent half my life as a skinhead, you know, no hair, covered in tattoos, was a boxer, used to be a little bit rough. Didn't even talk like this 10 years ago. You know, I'm covered in, covered in tattoos. Some of them mean stuff, some of them don't, you know, but um, I, it's, it's so possible to change. What happened was when I started networking in London and I really had a reason why I had purpose, I understood money. I knew it was a tool. I don't come from money. So money actually makes me happy because I don't then have the struggles that my parents had. I shifted my social circle. My mind blew up with possibility. The light bulb moment happened. And I blended that with business owners, fitness gurus, you know, experts in wealth, honestly, and my life changed. And then I just had absolute clarity from there onwards, mate. And, you know, it's got me to where I am today. I love to hear it as well, but I love to hear that it was it was a messy start because I think so many people who maybe listening to this and you know you've got a business maybe you haven't got a business and people always think I have to have the perfect idea to start I have to have the perfect thought process before I take action and what you're saying is you know what I believe as well is just crack on 
and you'll yeah. make so many failures, but from every failure you learn and move forward. Is that sort of the same experience you've had? Dude, I talk about this all the time. I do a lot of content. As soon as I start talking about cost of living on my TikTok, it pops because you get push and pull. My my view on everything, don't fucking moan about the world. Get on with it. It's like victim mentality. I see so many comments come through, dude. I'm like, you know, I'll be looking through the comments. I can't reply to everyone. And I'm like, holy shit, we're in a world that is victim mentality. Poor me. No. No, I think the first thing to identify, right, what I have learned along this way, I've cut off a very close family member of mine. Did it like that. No issues at all. I've grown up with her my whole life because it was toxic. I, I will make the necessary moves and I'll be proactive to identify a problem. I create the solution and then I move forward. That's the thing with cost of living. You can either moan about the fact that bread has gone up 42p and that petrol's gone up 70p or you can pull your finger out and we can fucking get on with it. So I'm just very, very, I've always been proactive, dude. If I want to build a business, I'll build a business. There's no good news or bad news. There's just news. Yeah, exactly. It's how it's actually how you respond to it, isn't there? And you, you've also mentioned before that, you know, you started your entrepreneurial journey pretty young, you know, selling things like sweets in, in, uh, in the school playground. And I wanted to ask you how those experiences early on perhaps started to create a mindset of there is more than just trading my mind for my time for money yeah i think do you know what it is it stems from when i talk about money or making money from an early age i've tried ebay shop i had a little wedding business i've sold dust caps you know don't ask me how i got the dust, mm. dust caps but, you know i've sold it all <laughs> or i've tried to sell it all and the thing is i don't i take it back to my family i didn't come from money and when you see your mum and dad struggle because of money you think Right. Well, to solve that problem, I need to have money. So therefore, it was always a it was always a hustle and a bit of a strive uh, to to make more money. And I actually enjoyed that. I actually like sales. I like the 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 dopamine hit of it. I actually like being rejected. And my son's exactly the same. I'll go street interviewing in my local city center, and I'll go up to people all the time. My son does the same. I let him loose. He'll just go up to anyone, and people go, no, 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 no. And I'm like. <laughs> I don't care. I'm like, who's the next one? Because there's going to be a yes, because it's a numbers game. And I loved making money because then it solved so many problems for me. And now my money that I make uh, also helps my parents. Perfect. There you go. There was a a reason why the whole time. The amount of people that we've had on the podcast that have got super successful businesses and they all touch on, if you want a business, not a hobby, get good at sales. If you think yeah. it's just about marketing, if you think it's just about creating that perfect product, you're always going to fall down at the first hurdle, which is actually making that money, actually making a sale. So looking for those rejections is such a good way to do it. I love that you've touched on that. What I wanted to ask you now was really around the day that you quit your job. So you've come up, you've got all these experiences, you've learned, you're healthy, you're fit, but you know there's more, that you know you've got your reason why. What did that day look like or that, that period leading up to the day you quit your job look like and how did it feel? And just talk us through that experience. There's so many people will be listening to this going, I couldn't imagine that day. Or maybe they can, but they just want to know what it's like. I broke out, baby. Um, <laughs> the day, okay, the day that I quit my job was the best feeling ever. And it truly was because it, at that point was total and utter independence. I, at that point, had 100% control of where my life was going to go from, from there. I'm accountable enough. I'm highly disciplined. 
and I'm, I take full ownership of where my life was going. The day that I got a message on my, I got an email on my last day of work. It was a shitty email. I'd already been thinking at this point of quitting. And I was already financially secure at that point because I spent years in my full-time job also building my business. So the day that I had an email come through on my last day, right, I got this email and I looked at the guy who I worked with very closely and I said, I'm fucking done. And he was like, what? I was like, mate, I'm gone. Like, I don't even need to put up with this shit. And I kept it on the low for so long. And I was, I never had the perfect day or a day in my head where I was going to quit. But that was kind of the breaking point. Dude, I shut my laptop. I rang my biggest boss. I said, come downstairs. I need to talk to you. I had a chat with her. I told her everything that was wrong. I told her about what I did. She already knew because they'd already found out. And I told a few managers what I thought of them. I shut my laptop. I then went and carried on building my businesses. And I knew that they would watch from the sideline. And even to this day, dude, all of them who didn't want me to succeed, they all watched me on TikTok. No way. You can see that they watch you. They're like interacting and stuff with you. Hey, some of them have joined my lives. No way. Isn't that interesting? Oh, yes. So how does that make you feel? I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that drives your passion to help other people break out, right, with your programs. Yeah. So on, on the last day when I quit my job, when I called down the biggest boss, I said to her, do you know what, what really frustrates me about the employed world and entrepreneurship and I said this is why I'm leaving today I said I can't comprehend anymore that when I come in here you're all backstabbing each other you're all trying to play off for promotions you're all talking down to each other and it's all because of your pay packet and I said I mean some of you you I bet you're on about 70 to 80k and she sort of like sniffed at it I knew she was on about 70 I was already doing six figures at this point but no one fucking knew and I said and what I can't <laughs> comprehend is when I leave on my days off I'm surrounded by multimillionaires. You know, some, some of my dearest friends turn over hundreds of millions of pounds. They have massive corporations in London and Dubai. And I can't get over that on my days off and every moment that God gives me spare to build my business, I'm surrounded by ambition, drive, self-reliance, um, discipline, helping one another. The more we collaborate, the more pieces of the pie that we all get. I come back in here and you're all talking to each other like shit. It's done. It's good. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's such a cool way of being like, I didn't just, just make a jump and just try something. You already had put the foundations in place, which not everyone has when they leave a job, but they've at least got the idea. They've got something to go. These are my skills. This is my genius. You know, if you look at Roger Hamilton's genius test, where can I actually make a, make a stance and, and take myself going forward? I think that's brilliant to hear. And it's so motivational. And I wanted to touch on the mindset piece as you have done a video I've seen online with a really, really cool quote from Tim Grover in it which says, yeah. um, if you think the price of winning is too high, wait until you get the bill of regret. So my question to you is, what does it take to change that mindset and, and you know, uh, challenge yourself to accept that it's okay to win? So firstly, one of my favorite quotes, and you really got to mm. like, listen to that. So people don't even know what that is. But when you hear it, if you think the price of winning is too high, wait till you get the bill mm. from regret. Now, regret bites everyone on the arse who don't take action. Those who procrastinate their entire life. Now, for me, I have seen no money from when my parents were working their socks off. I've seen what it's like. That bill of regret, had I have gone down a similar path of just working and going through the motions in life, although they have provided everything. I love my parents to, to death, right? But 
the bill could get passed on. It's now it now sits with me. I have my own family. Aaron, what are you prepared to do? Aaron, what are you willing to sacrifice? Aaron, do you want to keep up with the Joneses or do you want to make an impact? Do you let your son continue into a world that is becoming dramatically hard because you want to keep up with the Joneses, pretend like you're rich, do what everyone else is doing, become a yes man, have no soul, have no purpose, have no fulfillment, and then the price of uh, regret bites you on the arse. The bill of regret bites you on the arse. And when you're dead one day, your son has to go through the shit. Fucking no chance. Absolutely no chance. I'll put my mind, body and soul through everything. So there is no way I was leaving that for my son and him to pick up all the pieces because I wanted uh, to fulfill my needs in the time. I wanted to be lazy. I wanted to enjoy. So that really resonates with me because we have so I, I really understand the possibilities that we all have. We all have free resources. We all have so much information. And the thing is, you can absorb it, self-educate and then apply. And, and I just honestly, I would... I would hate myself if I got to 60 years old and I struggled myself. My family struggled. We didn't have a good retirement life. And I look at my son and I think, you've got a hard life ahead, dude. I'd fucking kick myself, man. Because I think, I think it's really interesting that you, you put it like that, like keeping up with the Joneses, because it is easier than ever to create a business nowadays in terms of the tools and in terms of the the impressions and the reach you can have but equally it's difficult because it's more saturated than ever but then saturation is not a bad thing it's proving the marketplace it's proving the market fit so it's, it literally does come down to mindset like you like you say so you know what do you think and maybe you're going to relate back to the keeping up the joneses what do you think keeps people in that that mindset that holds them back what is that happening it's social comparison we are in a world at the moment where everyone suffers from anxiety, depression, social comparison, social comparison. Everyone's competing with someone they don't even know. And this is a this is a step by step that most people are doing, which is leading to their downfall. First thing in the morning, most people wake up and they look at their phone. They've, their alarm's literally gone off. They don't even acknowledge their partners. They look at their phone and what they do is they socially compare. And that's subconscious. They look at everyone flying business class. They look at everyone wearing the nicest thing, driving the nicest uh, cars. And then that is um, very draining on the mindset because you haven't got what they have. Second part of that is what do most people do when they wake up in the morning? If they're not going to the gym, go downstairs, coffee. That's a caffeine. That's a stimulant. That then makes you slightly paranoid and anxious. Third part of that awful morning routine for most people 43 million people in the UK that then go into a job that they don't fucking like. They've done a three-step process, which has set them up for failure seven days a week, every single day. Now you're anxious, depressed, mm. and you're comparing and you don't do anything. You procrastinate because you're constantly watching someone else's life. Turn this fucking mm. thing off for a start and only create. I mean, that comes to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I really like that. And Daniel Priestley was on the podcast recently and he was talking about, you know, you've got to create, never consume. And what he was talking about as well is that AI is only going to get better at keeping you in the loop of scrolling because it knows exactly what you want now. So if you make that choice to only consume, you're going to struggle to ever create because you're going to feel like I can't possibly do anything. And then as soon as you take a step into entrepreneurship, you're like, oh, it feels like everyone's an entrepreneur here. But it didn't when you were employed. Like it's, it's, whoever you surround yourself with is completely, it's completely true. Uh, what, what's your opinion or what would you say to people that say it's okay to be employed? For some people, employment is fine. What's your sort of advice or thinking behind that? 
absolutely fine. So is it okay to be employed? Of course. Of course, there is nothing wrong or right about being employed. Just the same with business. Mm. But again, what do you want from life? I think that's the first question. Do you want to provide for your family? Do you want more time with your family? Do you want financial stability? This is a lack of information. You don't know what you don't know. Unfortunately, most people think the only way to provide for your family, the majority of the population think that employment going into the system is the way that you pay the bills, you go on holiday maybe once or twice a week and you have to stay in that job as long as you can. You fight for that job. You play off against other people. You brown nose, do whatever you have to do, because that is the uh, British or American dream. You have to stay and climb the ladder. But again, it's information. You know, most people don't know that business and entrepreneurship is not the same in the 80s and 90s. Today, you can design a remote lifestyle. You can design a business around your lifestyle. And again, I think when we educate more people, I think we'll start to have, you know, a balance that will come in. We'll have people that will be thinking, okay, maybe I will go into business or entrepreneurship, but people aren't there yet in their education. Nothing wrong with employment. But for me, the grass is greener on the other side. You're in control. You do what you want. You answer to fucking no one. Possibility. I learned about uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect in my last year at my old corporate job. And it was, it was quite life-changing because it, it's that effect where you have a level of incompetence which rises as you understand more and more about something. But you get to a certain point in that growth chart where you get to the top and you then realize how much information is over that hill that you didn't know. And I think that is a massive thing in entrepreneurship. Everyone sees the Instagram and goes, or TikTok and goes, business is going to be easy. You know, employment's, employment's boring or difficult. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. And maybe it's the same the other way around, but they then go into that sort of challenge and they didn't realize how much there is to learn. And that works in so many ways. There's so much to learn, which is difficult. There's also so much opportunity that you've never thought about. I mean, we know people in Dubai and in the UK and the US that have businesses you would never have realized could be a business, selling stuff that you would never have dreamt of. Yeah. But there's a market in everything. And that's that Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it? That you didn't realize what you didn't know, exactly what you said. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. And I, don't I think uh, a big issue, go on. No, I was just going to say, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think a big issue for a lot of people is, is like you say, caring, um, caring what people think of you, right? Such a big issue, it, just in the world today. And we've talked about um, comparison being the thief, the thief of joy. But what do you think about why we care so much about others? Because we're going to move on to sort of social media soon, which is where your, your bread and butter is growing on social media. Why do so many people care what other people think of them? What's going on there? If you're asking me, I think we're in a world where everyone cares what everyone thinks because no one wants to be made irrelevant or be the odd one out. We are, we are getting used to finding our clicks. We want to be in a click. Now, naturally, humans want to be in a pack, right? Because that's how you survive. If you take it back to cavemen times, you, you know, we were in tribes. So there is that kind of primal instinct to, to cling on to a group. But I think we need to get more comfortable in work, working on your own, you know, talking to yourself, having your own thoughts, making your own opinions. Aaron, do you want to go down the pub? No, not really. Okay, I'll see you later. Without being like, oh, he doesn't want to, you know, oh, he doesn't want to come down. I've always done what I fucking wanted. And, and you know what? I think the reason why I don't suffer from any anxiety, I've never had any depression, because I've always fucking done what I wanted. No one's ever come up to me and, Aaron, and said, Aaron, you can't do that. I'll go, why? Even in my workplace, I think finding a level of contentment and being 
fulfilled with who you are without having to look at everyone else and wondering what everyone else is doing. Someone said to me the other day, dude, did you see that post? No. No, I don't. I, I don't look. I don't look at anyone's stories, really. I don't consume. I only create and I create for a purpose. So I think it's it's being relevant. It's will they watch me if I do this? Can I show off? Can I keep up with the Joneses? You know, they've gone and bought this. But, you know, maybe I have to go and buy it. It's, it's, it's all Fugazi, Fugazi. It's all it's all clout. That's the problem. Everyone wants to look like the next person opposed to being just yeah. you. That's really true. Everyone wants to be the Alex Hormozzi in the business world, don't they? And it's almost yeah. the same. It's the same in the gym. I think it's a really good comparison there again to health and fitness that people don't join those gyms. You know, I, I spoke about this morning on LinkedIn that one of the most intimidating things I've ever done is join a CrossFit gym. But it was only intimidating because I perceived it to be once I was in there, I was part of the community and it was like the best people I've ever met. It's literally perception, isn't it? Of course. Look, dude, I boxed for a long time, right? And I remember the first time when I was doing interclub sparring, my first bouts, when I became licensed, when I was sparring bigger kiddies, I used to think it's going to hurt if I get punched in the face. But, you know, it's like what Mike Tyson says. I, I, I adopt this. You know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face because you don't know what's coming around the corner. You know, life is full of like twists and turns. And I spoke to a very successful business owner many years ago. I must have been 18, 19. And he said, if you're going to go into this journey, he said, let me give you some advice. He was like late 40s. He said, just honestly, just enjoy all of it. There's going to be so much involved if this is the way that you're going. Just remember to stop and enjoy it. So things like, I'm blessed to be able to do this podcast. I get to do this podcast. You know, I get to go through my own struggles. Just uh, we've all heard that kind of stuff. But you do have to remind yourself. We get to do a podcast right now where other people are sitting in a warehouse or an office fucking doing their absolute screw. Blessings, mm. right? And I think that is so much more powerful than people will give it credit for. I think people will just say, oh, that was a, a nice motivational thing that Aaron said. If you actually think about that, even write it down or think about it later on in the day, reflect on it. Reflection is so powerful. If you go, how lucky am I that I get to do this stuff? It, like you said earlier, it starts to dissipate depression, anxiety, those evil thoughts of self-sabotage because you're able to say, my life's different. And actually, you've said this before, and I'm a big advocate for it, which is you're creating your own life. You're creating your own future. If you just make a few changes, and like you said as well, you don't have to quit your job. You just have to make more, take more control. And part of what I'm doing in 2024 and towards the end of 2023 is protect my time more. I know that I work best in the morning, so no one can distract me. I don't have any meetings in the mornings. I don't, my phone is in the other end of the house. I don't get it. It goes in that room between the hours of sort of 7 p.m. once I've done my, uh, my Duolingo. And then in the morning, I do work first, go to the gym, come back, then I've got the phone. And I think protecting your time for me is massive. And I wondered if, if you've got some tips on how you can protect your own time other than sort of just the saying no. Absolutely. This is one thing that every year that passes, my time becomes more and more valuable. Once upon a time, mm. I'd do this, I'd do that. I'd spend time, you know, I'd make time for this person or we'd go out and do that in peak times. Now it's like super, super value. I time block everything. I have all my meetings scheduled, all my calendar. I make sure that I have my priorities first. You know, everything is priority. Everything comes down to a priority order. Your money, your time, your social consumption your fitness, all of it is priorities, absolutely priorities. And with time, 
as you appreciate, as you get older, you start to think, I need to really value my time, which also is a great reflection in the workplace. I just want to say this. How many, I, once upon a time, I was that person when I was very young. How many people go into the office or the warehouse or wherever and they find these two, three, four hours during their work hours and they just sit there like this? <laughs> All those precious hours that could be spent developing, self-helping, self-educating, learning how to make more money. You know, there's so many crucial hours in a day and, and people haven't quite got it figured out in how to really prioritize and value their time. Mm. And that, you know what, that's funny. It reminds me of someone that I know who, who uh, used to, he, he once told me that he'd worked out how much time he'd have to sit on the toilet every day at work to get a free week out of his office, at, you know, in, in his job. And it was only something like 10 minutes a day. If you waste 10 minutes a day, that works out as a full working week. And he was, he was sort of thinking that was a good way of doing something, you know, getting money for free. And I saw it the complete opposite of a sort of lack of self-respect that that time, yes, you're getting paid for it, fine, if that's your end goal, but you could grow in that time. Imagine what you could do with 10 minutes a day. It doesn't sound like much, but it compounds just like business success does, just like you said, personal success. You know, you might have a, a win and then a fail and a win and a fail. But over time, if it's going up in the right direction, and there's enough wins, it starts to compound, then momentum starts to build, and it's all there. You just have to wait for it to sort of compound, which leads me nicely onto TikTok. Because no one on this podcast, I don't think, I have to look back, I don't think anyone has spoken about TikTok or their rise to, um, to awareness on TikTok. We've had people that have done lots of stuff on LinkedIn and YouTube and um, Instagram. But you have managed to work out how to build a community on TikTok. And I, I don't want to talk about algorithms because i don't believe that it is purely algorithms algorithms are just patterns that you have to learn it's community building which you've done incredibly well so the first question is fairly broad but how have you what would you what would you say has been your trick or your method to growing that community on on tiktok it's such a new platform i have grown rapidly on tiktok because of core reasons right authentic i've been very transparent I've shown up every day. I've been consistent and I've added value every single day. I've not missed a day for the last 14 months that I've been on TikTok and I've never gone for a vanity metric. Any of my posts have been because I believe it. It's truthful. It's my experience. It's my opinions. It's what I think of the world. And within that, I try to offer some value that people can take away from every post. I'll come in hard hitting. I'm good on the hooks. I'm very outspoken. I'm very bullish. I'm, I'm full of no excuses. I have none. And I think over time that has resonated with people and certain videos have obviously done very well because it's, it's hit a pain point that people can relate to. And also, do you know one thing? I know a lot of people that pretend they've come from hard times and, you know, when I know they're born in the West Wing and they've got rich young, I, I fucking know them, right? I, I can smell a West Wing fucking boy or girl a million miles off, right? I... I've got the story. I've been there. I've worn the T-shirt, which is why I can turn around and say, I know what it's like to poke your head out of a council estate and hear the staffy barking away. I've even got a staffy, you know, still now. She's old, bless her. You know, I've been around. Like, Ryan, I've heard it all. I've been there. I've got myself out of it. And I've really portrayed that in my content. You know, I've just been very authentic and I've live streamed a hell of a lot. I've given away so much free value. And I've tried to be a people's person. I've done that for 14 months every single day. And that's it. So you've grown to over a quarter of a million in 14 months. 
Yeah. That's the growth so, that you've seen. Yeah, wow. I've done now over 260 million views as of today. Yeah. That's insane. Built, That's congratulations. Wow. It. Yeah, you know, brand new business off of it. Uh, I've, I've developed multiple streams of income off of it. I've worked with countless amounts of brands. I just did a brand yesterday with a partner with Google, Wix, uh, Canva. I've, I've worked. I've had huge amounts of sponsorship from it. I've had a lot of opportunities. It's game changing. TikTok, people, th this year in 2024, TikTok is going to change the game. If people get on it, are loyal to it and pump heavy value-driven content. Um, I don't think people are quite realizing yet how big this year is going to be. I read a lot of articles. Mm. I stay very close to it. This year, if you dominate TikTok, uh, you could be on TEDx talk. Like you could be fucking everywhere. ITV, and then you've also whatever. got the, the you've got the TikTok store that's been out for what, four months in in America already and has made it's done hundreds of millions of revenue, hasn't it? Dude, I honestly I can only stress this. In 2024, TikTok is going to 10x its commercial spend. That means more revenue streams. That means bigger advertisers. That means more sponsorship, more endorsements, bigger paying brand deals. I mean, they already pay a fucking fortune at the moment anyway. But that's only gonna get bigger. That's gonna mean speaking gigs. It, Honestly, I'm super excited. And then if you know how to convert and funnel, you know, I'll do videos, like I pump out a lot of content, but you know, on average at the moment, I'm probably like three, four million views a week, you know, maybe 12 to 13 a month, something like that, you know, whatever. Um, I have a huge amount of conversion rate. My lead generation is, um, I, I can't even tell you, you're talking rocket high, right? Okay, so someone who's, say if someone's listening to this and they're starting out on TikTok, they've just, they've just got their account, all they use it for is to consume. What can they start to do? What, what would the advice be from someone that's been there and done that? Yeah, so honestly, that's a question that comes up in my comments all the time. I just can't answer all of them. Is, <laughs> is how do I grow fast? What do I need to do? Literally, those are the two questions in so many words. You have to, uh, just like any platform, to grow on TikTok, you have to find a niche then you have to find a way of delivering value. Then you have to be interesting because boring content doesn't grow. Like if you're boring, you don't grow. You do have to learn hooks. You have to evolve with longer form content because TikTok is ultimately wanting to compete with the mothership YouTube. We know that it's happening. We're going to have bigger advertisers. So for me, I'm always thinking, right, Aaron, the content that I put out, if it's still relevant and it still pops in the next two, three, four months, if a brand sees that, is it going to add value to them? I'm always thinking of commercial. So I'm thinking the content that I'm doing and how I'm diversifying, how will Disney, Adidas, Dropbox, um, Canva, Captions, how will they get in touch with me? Moneybox, eToro, how are they going to get in touch with me? Am I delivering the right message, the right content, being a certain PG? Am I delivering the right message? I'm always thinking commercially, and this is the year to really do that. So I would value engagement, make sure that you're inviting the audience in. I never produce content as well that leaves you with the feeling of, meh, that's all right, swipe. Mine's like, I don't agree with that. You can't say that, Aaron. Or, oh my God, I agree with that. I'm sending that to Lucy and Dave down the road. Fucking too right. That's my mm. boss. You have to create engagement and agreement, disagreement, push and pull, and then it grows. Well, that's such, it's such a good bit of advice because people are always going to go, you know, this is how you grow by just trying to hack the algorithm. But 
to be able to hear someone who's actually trying it and testing it and understanding that maybe longer videos work better. You mentioned lives earlier as well. Lives are a big deal. And then understanding that they can be funneled somewhere else. So for example, you were talk talking earlier about YouTube, right? YouTube's a big thing for you as well. Is that something you're growing this year? Yeah, I mean, look, YouTube for me has done something like 8.7 million views. I've done a lot of views for my YouTube for the size of it. But this year I'm going all in mm. on YouTube. But YouTube is a great funnel. You know, it's made, it's made, even through ad revenue, it's made a lot of millionaires across the globe. It's for business mm. owners who really know how to tap into organic funneling and use call to actions within subconsciously within their video. Super, super powerful. You know, social media, just as just to broaden this and generalize, social media is is your window shop. That's that's your validation. Mm. Like, who are you? What you do? How can we work with you? That's all it is to me. Mm. I don't like the word social media. It's my window shop. How can I bring customers in, add a load of free value, and how can we upsell and over-deliver in that it's value that we upsell? Yeah, it's such a good way to think about it. And so what do you hope that someone takes from your content, whether it's a TikTok or an Instagram reel or, or a YouTube video? What are you hoping that you can impact them with? Possibility. Never have any excuses and you can have a result. Be proactive have empowerment, financial empowerment, look after your money and your money will always look after you. Live a very lean life. You know, as of recording this, I'm wearing my own merch. I've got Primani joggers on. I've got my sliders and my white socks. I don't spend a lot of money. My money looks after me. I have private medical care for my family. We live a pretty good financial life. Um, we have everything we want. We have no debt. And that is because of all the opportunities that I've seen that I've educated, I've applied, I've been rejected, I've gone through failure, I've still shown up, my rebound time is very quick, and I show up every single day, rinse, repeat. And that is the result of my own form of success. And I, I I'm not even the definition of success. You know, I'm really not. But in, in my little world, my family's little bubble, we're doing all right. Because I don't sit on my ass, I'm proactive. We have so much opportunity, all of us. That's what I want people to take away. It's amazing. And, and it's worth mentioning as well, your podcast as well, because you've had some incredible guests on the podcast, which has also come through that awareness, right? And you're able to now speak to people that are, are sort of steps ahead of you and, and you can learn from them. So how has that been for you as a sort of a, a platform? Podcasting is the greatest, right? Because you can have these conversations and you're always talking to someone who's like-minded, like even talking with you, yeah. you know, I was with Daniel Priestley, I'm with Jade Beeson next week yeah. in London. You know, I've got some incredible people that have been on the podcast and who haven't been on the podcast. You know, I'm just very blessed that I can pick up a phone that, you know, has a value probably sitting in this about $2.8 billion and I can ring people and go, look, I'm struggling with this, you know, and if they can't answer me, they'll go, look, Aaron, what we'll do, let me introduce you to, you know, so-and-so and they'll be able to, just like with you, I'm sure you get loads of introductions, you've had awesome guests. It's all through the grapevine. It's all through being likable, you know, um, having a little bit of ambition. You know, there is, um, there, there's a bit of a, you know, hidden rule. Entrepreneurs like to help other entrepreneurs. You know, we all want to do well, right? And there is enough to go around and, you know, collaborating and it's all for the taking. It doesn't matter whether you, you know, you've just been released from jail, you come from a council estate, you had a big XL bully and I don't know, whatever. Right? I've seen them all. I've been around all of them. It's fair game for everyone. That's a great point as well, by the way, about entrepreneurs wanting to help each other, because I completely agree. 85% of entrepreneurs want to help others. And then there's a small percentage who, who don't, and they're the ones just to steer clear of. Yeah. Because even the ones that are billionaires, they're going to help you more than the ones that do 
five figures because they've got more to give. They're less, um, they're less uh, scarcity in their mindset, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to bring that across, that sort of thinking and, and your whole principle into your investing work and, and talk about the principles or the strategies that you believe are crucial in your investing uh, portfolio. What are you looking for? How do they align with you? Uh, so if I'm looking long term, right, I, I always imagine the worst. I think you, once you paint the worst picture, you can plan for the worst, you know, like, you know, prepare, you know, kind of situation. So what I like to say to people is when they're saying, yeah, but I don't really know what to do or how to plan for my finances later in life. I just paint this picture very simply. This keeps me on my toes. Imagine when you're 60, 70, 80 years old. You don't know how long you've got left. You've got a few ailments. Have you got enough money to pay for private care? in a nice home. Um, if not, you may end up in one of these, you know, state given care homes, you fall on the floor, someone comes in and goes, oh, fucking get back in your bed, not you again, like this and treats you like shit. Or do you want to have the money to actually be picked up by someone who's really nice, who's not going to poison you on, in the IV, you know, who can't stand their job because they're bitter, twisted and regretful? Do you want to have the money where perhaps, look, if you're older and you split up with your wife, your husband, you don't have children, who's going to take care of you? So I always think, OK, what kind of funds do you need to still continue a fairly decent lifestyle? Have you got the money to still be putting organic food into your body? Can you still afford a membership? So when I invest into things like peer-to-peer, -peer, fixed investing, private lending, I do. Um, I'm a silent partner in a development company. So, you know, when I'm investing long term, I'm always thinking I'm going to have this beautiful big fuck off pot. You know, I'm not going to rely on a corporate pension that where the UK is in so much debt and there's been so much quantitative easing and, we're and the UK is backed by no tangible assets. The day that I come and fully knowing that there's 26 billion worth of funds that are, that are not even being used by their owners, by the people who've been paying into the pension, sitting there waiting for the government to dip into it. I'm never going to rely on a pension. So I always plan my investments around if I want to hang up the boots by 45, 50 years old, what does my pot need to look like? And then I go aggr aggressively into that. I always plan 20, 30 years ahead. So I, I love that because you're re reverse engineering it. And I'll just add on to that. What you're saying is you're planning 25, 30 years ahead, but you're very much taking the steps right now, which is what most people don't do. They yeah. plan 25 years ahead and then they take no steps for 20 years and then go, shit, I'm yeah. five years away and there's no way I can make this happen. So it's just really, really cool. So what would you say to someone who is, who's listening perhaps and they go, I don't know what the next step is for me to take. Maybe they're looking at a 25 year plan, but they don't know what that next thing to do is. What would you say to, to the, your audience to make them just make a small change? I would say four evaluations. So just to generalize, when anyone is looking to change their life, you need to do four evaluations. Your self-evaluation. Why do you want to change? What is your, again, what is your reason why? You actually have to have um, a consequence or a repercussion for you not changing your life. If, you, if you're comfortable, you come from a rich family, you have no drive to change your life. So number one, how bad do you want it? Your self-evaluation. Number two, Nothing happens if you're around the wrong people. So it's a social evaluation. Open up your WhatsApp. Right. I'm sending fucking dick pic. Right. Then I'm fucking cats jumping off of buildings. We've got people doing backflips and we've got a kid that's broken his neck on a skateboard. If you're sending all that kind of shit to your friends, bin them off. How many conversations have you had about money and entrepreneurship and business and, and fitness in your WhatsApp? 
If you haven't, full evaluation in your social circle. After that, it's a financial evaluation. Where does your money go every month? Like, what do you actually spend it on? And I'm literally on about, you know, print off the last three months of your expenditure. What do you spend your money on? Get rid of all the bad habits, all the really bad expenditure. Start investing, saving, emergency funds, all that good stuff for financial empowerment. And finally, number four, time evaluation. Where do you spend your time? Are you consuming mind-numbing shit? You know, are you becoming lazy, fat, and blobby by spending too much time on the phone? Start spending time, as we spoke about earlier, on you, developing, self-helping, self-educating, and then finally put that into implication, you know? Four evaluations. That's incredible. And what about accountability? How would you get, how would you find or help someone get accountability to do that? Where some people be, we listen to this perhaps, or they're, they're watching it, they're on the sofa, they feel that you've just described them as a person. You know, they've got friends sending them cat videos, they're fat, they've just eaten a pizza, whatever, they're, they're stuck in a job. How do you help them find the accountability to go, okay, I'm going to make this change, but I know that in two weeks, you know, we're recording this on the 17th of January, because it's ironic, because it's the day that every single person gives up their New Year's resolutions. How would you recommend that they sort of stick to something that they're going to go for? Again, you need a consequence. Nothing happens if there's not a repercussion. If I don't do that, this will happen. You know, um, it goes back to the whole thing. And I know it's a bit dramatic, but you know, I'm not the first one to say it. it won't be the last. But a lot of people have said this. But, you know, if you were to put a gun to one of your family members head, you know, or someone was to put a gun to someone and say, if you don't do that, I'm going to end your family member. Someone would go and think, right, I need to do it. So whatever your consequence or repercussion is, whether that's regret, whether that's fear of being broke when you're older, I don't know, whatever. But you have to have something tangible, which you can remind yourself when things get really tough to go, I need to rebound. I need to get back on the horse because Aaron or whoever, I need to do this because if not, they will suffer. Again, if you think the price of winning is too high, wait till you get the bill from regret, passing it down to your children. So I think having something to always remind yourself. Um, and then secondly, getting around the right people, you know, having a mentor or having someone that can guide you, having someone that you can just pick up the phone and say, look, um, entrepreneurship, fuck me, it's tough. I've left my job. I've told everyone that I'm going to have a successful business, but I'm going to be totally honest with you. This is fucking tough. Any chance you give me a hand. Everyone will turn around and say, of course, anyone rings me up that's just started a business that I'm friendly with. What do you need? Ask me five questions and I'll give you all the, I'll give you the best answers I can. Or join me on a live stream for an hour and a half. I'll answer all of them. You know, ask mm. for help, have a tangible reason why and a consequence and a repercussion. And what about someone that, uh, that doesn't think they have any value? Because what we hear more often than not, that people have followed our journey, they'll say, I'd love to be able to do it. How did you realize your value? And I said, I didn't, I didn't have any value. You know, I genuinely don't believe that I've actually got a skill set that on its own is interesting enough. I value stack my skills and I've got around the right people and just tried my, my luck at things that I knew I could potentially learn to do. So is that something that you can relate to or is that people that, people that have followed you have that sort of idea that they haven't got any value to give and how would you help them discover that? I think if you're sitting there and you're going through imposter syndrome or you're questioning your value, I think really you just need to go back to the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. You know, people were looking for degrees, A-levels. They wanted paperwork, you know, and we've been so used to having to provide a bit of paperwork to say, this is who I am. This is the title that I have and this is what I can do. You know, whereas really, again, it's an educational thing. You can create whatever the fuck you want. You know, if you like collecting snail shells and painting them black and blue, 
I'm sure there's someone out there who loves doing exactly the same and you could advise them on how to paint them the best and collect them and where to find snails, whatever, right? There is a market for most things now, but like anything, you know, you need to understand, can I monetize it? Can I add value? Is this going to solve a problem? Uh, on what scale is it going to solve a problem? Is it going to solve problems in all countries? Is there Are there books that I can learn about it? Are there other people doing this? Have other people been successful? You know, and again, the whole thing with like Blueprint leaves clues, right? You know, I'm, again, I'm not the first one to say this, but it's the best way of explaining it. I have no idea how to bake a cake. But again, give me a cake recipe. You'll have a cake of some sort at the end of it. I keep doing it. I keep doing it. I'm going to have a great red velvet or whatever at the end of it. So you don't have to have any specific skill sets in the beginning because that's what education's for you know self-education you know learning something new enjoying it going through like a trial period didn't like this this failed weren't keen on that but this i can love this can i monetize it now can i grow it can i scale it can i operate it from my phone and laptop could it be a lifestyle business could be so i think everyone goes through imposter syndrome but let me just remind people as well imposter syndrome is made up I don't know who made that up. It's a made up word. It's, it's not even a real thing. You know? That's, um, I think that is, is, I like that you've said that because so many things that we live by or that people live by, or maybe you're, you know, I was thinking my mum, you know, the, the 10,000 steps a day, you've got to get 10,000 steps a day. And that was made up by Fitbit to sell more watches. Same as imposter syndrome. Maybe, maybe it was made up by someone to sell something. I don't know. But I do agree that to, to a certain extent, there's a really good quote. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna mess it up now. But it's something like, "You, you really need to understand the unimportance of everything." It's like, I've completely butchered it. But most things you do in your day, if you say, "I've got a busy day today," and you say to someone, "What are you busy with?" and they say, "Work." If they're an entrepreneur, especially, what does work mean? That doesn't yeah. mean anything. You've made that up. It's unimportant. Are you doing sales in the morning and then content in the afternoon? What are you doing? And I yeah. think understanding that and understanding what how unimportant most things are will yeah. level you up in a number of ways that's that's what we probably both learn um from people we've spoken to in our circles because the ones that get the furthest are the ones that protect their time they understand the value they can give even if it's not the value that they used to have or have, have started with and they really prioritize the solution and also their health and i'm it's really cool to speak to you because you're resonating with everything that people need to know and people need to just start to have that confidence in. Actually, it's quite, maybe I'll put this question to you. What, what is confidence to you? Where does confidence come from? How do you see people with low confidence taking that step? I think confidence just comes from working on all elements of yourself. I think obviously that's the kind of key answer, fitness, health. But again, you know, we underestimate being around the right people. If someone who wasn't very confident mm. spent a week with me and I introduced them to my lifestyle and who I'm around, I guarantee you that they'll think in a different way. They might start working out and that will resonate in their confidence and their self-esteem. But you know, it's like in the workplace, we have a lot of people that aren't confident and they have low self-esteem because they haven't been allowed to be themselves. They've fallen in line. Mm. They've never said what they truly want to, again, for the fear of losing their job. It's always the fear of something. Well, if I don't do that, if I don't conform, if I don't go down to the pub when everyone asks me, they'll think this of me. You know, whereas actually you need to sit back and start thinking of yourself a little bit more. I think that's the problem. Again, it goes back to everyone's watching everyone else and what they're doing. And that then decides what they should be doing and what, what normal society looks mm. like. What is normal? You know, what the fuck is normal? Mm. 
you know, some people would think I'm a bit of a hermit. Some people would think Jason's a bit of a hermit. Some people would think other people's a bit of a hermit. Don't really go out, don't really spend too much money, don't waste money. But I haven't got to go into a job where I'm going to be told what the fuck to do. So what is mm. normal? I think taking a little bit of control back, getting your fitness right, eating cleaner, being around people who hold themselves very accountable. You'll, again, it goes back to, you, you know it, I know it. You are a mixture of the people that you hang around with. So if you want confidence, start hanging around with people who are quite, you know, outspoken, confident, very driven. And you'll start to think, okay, maybe I could do that. Maybe I'll follow in their steps. Mm. Maybe, maybe I'll do some of the things that they do. You know, maybe I'll start training twice a day, whatever it is. So, but yeah, confidence mm. holds a lot of people back. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I think it's really cool that you're, you know, your program's talking about how to break out and break free, break through, because when you're on this side of, of employment, not necessarily employment, I think that's unfair because some people are completely trapped in their businesses as well. We've got to remember that entrepreneurship is not the, the be all and end all. Yeah. But it does make you think that, you know, especially what you're talking about, you know, um, create, don't, don't just consume. It does feel like the world is created or is run in a way that holds most people to a desk because if they didn't, it would be incredibly hard to control the world order. Maybe we're going to start to put the world to rights now, but that's, that's what it feels like. And only those that are rising above are the ones that are, um, you know, creating. And I always say this in our business, you look at the people that are doing the best, not necessarily even entrepreneurship. I think a really good example is someone like Jeremy Clarkson, Piers Morgan, these people that have been on our television screens for a long time and clearly have a lot of money. And they don't know anything about what's on TV in the evenings, even though they're of a generation where everyone's watching TV in the evening from 7pm onwards. They're reading books, they're reading newspapers, and it's still consuming, but they're learning so much more. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that's something that you, you've seen in your journey, like once you started to learn and add to your own knowledge base, you start to be like, wow, this is actually not easy, but I understand the process better now. Yeah, I've done a whole video on why you should turn off the news about how it affects you mentally, okay. it increases paranoia, anxiety, it will mm. make you depressed, it will make you fearful of what's to come. You're always, you know, it's putting yourself in such a negative Karen moaning Mike mindset, victim mentality. Mm. If you consume, read or listen to the news, I don't listen to the radio. There is a very common trait with a lot of successful people. They don't watch or listen to the news. They don't actually really know what's going on unless someone has openly said it or they happen to see it pop up on their feed. Even then, I remove a lot of it. But the thing is, like with the cost of living, right, prices might be going up slightly here and there. But there is some truth in ignorance is bliss. And when there is that slight ignorance and you are just moving forward in your life and you're always being proactive, learning, how can I make more money? Can I scale my business mm. right? Can I evolve in a way? You don't notice the 40, 50p going up. If you're going down the pub and you're spending all your steak money, and, well, you know, life's so tough. Oh, yeah, you know, Karen's had an affair with Mike down the road. and You know, blah, blah. I've heard it all. Right, there's loads of them out there like that. They will moan about gas and lecky and white lightning and beer going up and you name it, but they'll do fuck all about it because they're consuming what the world is telling them. Again, cost of living. Take the crisis off. Cost of living. <laughs> it costs you to live. But they throw on the little word crisis at the end. <laughs> crisis. Yes. It's clickbait. But the thing is, people buy into it. You know, it's switch off yeah. the news. Your life becomes purer. There's a slight ignorance is bliss, which is a healthy thing. And then you can, you know, start to make moves because you're not consuming the shit. 
I completely agree. And I want to, I want to finish off talking on um, to sort of take what you just said, said there forward on goal setting, you know, we're still in January. I want to talk about goal setting because Parkinson's law effectively states that work will fill the amount of time that you give it. Right. So I've set some really audacious goals this year, personally, uh, professionally, and also just other things I want to do, like learning languages, sports, that kind of thing. And I've done it every quarter because I know that if I say I'm going to get into uh, you know this sort of shape or I want to compete at CrossFit this number of times, if I say I'll give myself eight months, I'll train in the last six months. Although I train every day, I, I will train harder in competition prep later. Yeah. Because if I say I'm going to do it in early Feb and continue to go, I know what's going to happen. I know I'll, I'll hold a higher level of myself. And that's the same with language and same with business. So how have you gone about your goal setting for this year? If someone's listening to this and is thinking, I might leave my job or I might make a change. What are the goals? Or they, what can they learn from you about goal setting to make some, uh, some tangible steps? So I actually do what you just said as well. So when it comes to goal setting, I goal set every quarter. I don't aim too far ahead. I know what I'd like to achieve broadly over the year, and I'd like to aim towards that, but it's very realistic to do things in quarters. So that's why I book multiple fitness goals. So when it comes to personal fitness, that's why Jason and I, we've got a Tough Mudder in April. We've got London to Brighton in June. We've got Snowden in March. We've got another Tough Mudder in September because, again, that keeps you on your toes to make sure that you don't go, oh, it's ages away, I'll do it then. So you're held accountable. The other thing is as well, just like business, you have to have a bit of a consequence where if I don't do that, I won't be able to perform my best time or lift the heaviest weight or do a PB. So again, having that accountability quarterly with my professional goals, what am I going to do? What's achievable? But also, you know, overwhelm typically comes from overload. So I won't overload myself. And like we were talking about early, I prioritize my time because I'm fully aware curveballs come out of nowhere. Like every day as a business owner, entrepreneur, content creator, is like solutions every day, like problem solving. So with the quarter, you can kind of set realistic goals, but know that things might throw you off track. So you don't get disheartened by going, well, at the end of the year, I want to do over a million. You get curveballed in the first quarter and you think, oh, well, that million's not going to happen. Whereas you think, well, I only set myself this goal for the quarter. I've just got to adjust and I can still hit my quarterly goals. So you kind of you know, just like in entrepreneurship, I suppose with quarterly goals, you reset every quarter and you can reevaluate. And then you can do again, just to throw it out there, every quarter, you could reevaluate the four evaluations, which I mentioned, you know, just check back in with yourself. So just like you, short term, but punchy, hard hitting goals that I can strive for, you know, that's exactly what I do. It's, it's awesome. And it's, it's been such an interesting chat. There's so many nuggets in here that People of all abilities and all levels of business and personal and, and uh, fitness life can take away. It's been so helpful. So thank you so much for your time, Aaron. It's been awesome. Absolute pleasure. Apologies for the heavy swearing. That's just me.